right, welcome to Back and Forth with Blue Ridge Wealth Planners. Uh, I am John Vandergriff, and I'm joined this week by Zach Hill. Uh, Zach is the team lead on our operations team. Uh, he's been with us a little over a year, has lots of experience in several areas. He's got his MBA in finance from University of Tennessee. He actually worked both at mutual fund uh, management and hedge fund management previously. And Zach is also the co-owner of Remedy Coffee Shop. So, you know, if you want some coffee downtown, uh, feel free to step on down there and, you know, yeah. experience, best the, coffee in town. experience the best coffee there. I will tell you on the front end, if you're going there wanting white mochas, they don't have them. Okay. That's the only <laughs> yeah. riff I have with Remedy. <laughs> regular, um, We have regular mocha, just well, not Regular white. mocha, yeah. just not white chocolate mocha. So I'm, a, I'm very <laughs> partial to that. So what we're talking about today is, uh, again, like we do every week, the pros and cons of certain topics. And so this week we are looking at uh, the pros and cons of low interest rates. Uh, obviously, as we talk through several things, uh, the main emphasis that we want to enlighten with this show is that just because there are pros and cons of certain topics, the reality is pros and cons are individually based on what your needs and goals are. So I always think it's wise to talk to a financial advisor, uh, make sure that you are understanding what it is that you're wanting your money to do, and also the impact that some of these discussions that we have could potentially have on your money. So as we look at this, uh, I'm going to take the positive side of low interest rates today. Zach will take the negative side and we'll have a good discussion looking at both of those areas and seeing, you know, the ins and outs of what we're experiencing now. So again, with low interest rates, we're kind of responding this into uh, the decision that the Fed has made recently to drop interest rates rapidly to zero. And so again, I don't want to steal your thunder, Zach, so I'll go ahead and let you take that on the con side. So. All right. Thanks. Uh, so just to give a little background as to how we got here, the uh, a few weeks ago, the Fed announced an emergency uh, interest rate cut uh, before their, a couple weeks before their scheduled March meeting. And then just very, very shortly after that, uh, they decided to further that interest rate cut and just take rates down to zero. And then it announced a new quantitative easing program as well at the same time. Uh, and this was all response into what's going on in the economy right now related to coronavirus and oil and the stock market dropping uh, so rapidly. And so um, what you see is the Fed actually responded a lot quicker than they typically do. Um, and when they took interest rates to zero, it almost seems like they don't have any other tools in their toolkit. So a lot of people will use the phrase, the Fed is out of ammo or the Fed doesn't have any moves left. And so that's why... Um, I would say the first reason is that this move could be seen as a negative. Uh, and so as you say, like no moves left, what are the moves that you're talking about? Like moves to prevent what? Right. To yeah. prevent an economic slowdown. The Fed, uh, the Fed has two key uh, goals, and that's to maintain price stability, which is to keep inflation at 2%, and to maintain full employment. Mm -hmm. And so when the Fed adjusts monetary policy, which is primarily just by moving interest rates, they are... Uh, trying to achieve both of those goals. Yeah. So what they're saying now is they want to take interest rates to zero because they foresee unemployment increasing because of all of the businesses that are being closed. Right. And there's a lot of people out of work right now that are having to start file for un filing for unemployment. So to do that, that, to combat that slowdown that they foresee, they want to drop interest rates to zero. Right. The problem that I see with that is that now that they've taken interest rates to zero, they can't lower them any further. Mm -hmm. So if this crisis lasts over a long period of time, they don't really have anywhere else to move. Um, and what happened in 2008 is they took interest rates from 5% to 0%. They realized they couldn't do anything else, so they started doing what's called quantitative easing, where they started buying all different types of bonds in 
the open market. And so that also helped interest rates go down because as you buy bonds and the bond price increases, the interest rates go down on the bonds. Right. And so when they did both of those things, um, a lot of people, myself included, are looking at the Fed saying, what else can you do? You Those are the only two policy tools that you've really used in the past. So how are you going to affect your two mandates, which are price stability and full employment, if you've already used both of your moves. Right, right. And I would say, you know, I don't think that there is a response that says that's a positive thing. You know, you talked about uh, when we were talking earlier that, you know, some people think they can maybe try to curb some of what's happening because of the rapid rate that they reduce rates. But I don't think that that's going to be enough, you know, when we look at it. And so, You know, some people may argue that that's a positive thing in response, you know, and I know Trump was calling for them to cut rates, you know, as rapidly as they could. It just may not be enough with all the pandemic stuff and the oil price war that's going on uh, to prevent, you know, some of the slowdown. Right. And they're and they're trying to be proactive. I understand that side is they want to get out in front of it and they say, if we do this now, we don't have we can hopefully stem some of the losses and some of the unemployment um, increases that may potentially come. But. It seems a little reactionary. It seems like it's happening so fast to something that isn't a fundamental shift in the underlyings of the economy, where in 2008, we had a banking crisis. We needed interest rates to be cut. We needed bonds to be bought because we needed to restore confidence in the financial system, where now this is a very serious slowdown. Economies are coming to a halt, Mm -hmm. but... There's going to be a lot of pent up demand once that once the virus clears and everybody can go back out again where the economy should resume. Right. And so if that happens, the Fed's at zero and we have this massive quantitative easing program that we don't really need. Yeah, that's true. So what are some other cons? That so you have? Uh, I think the, the first con, like I said, is just to recap, is that they may not have any more room to run. The second con is that they might have to introduce negative interest rates if they do decide to move for, further. And this does persist for a longer period of time. And so if you look at that and you say, well, they may not have any tools left. What are a tool they have that they could potentially use? Negative interest rates is the thing that pops up the most common, uh, commonly right now. And that's because Europe has introduced negative interest rates. They did so a few years ago. Yeah. And so just to kind of give a recap of what that is, typically uh, banks have paid interest in the past on deposits. So you put $100 in the bank and then... Uh, at a 1% interest rate, a year later, you get $101. Right. Now, if the interest rate's negative, do- uh, negative 1%, you'll put $100 in the bank and then get $99 in a year. Yeah. And it doesn't intuitively make any sense. Uh, but a few years ago, Europe was sitting at 0% and they decided we don't, we don't have anything else to do. We're already buying bonds. We already have 0% interest rates. Let's try negative interest rates. Yeah. Uh, and so that whole process is so counterintuitive, and it, but banks are still trying it. Yeah. And I think what we've seen in Europe and then Japan, interest rates have been negative as well, is that that is counterproductive. Um, The European Central Bank, there was a governor uh, governor for the European Central Bank who came out and said in December 2019 that he believes that even though the European economy is not strong right now, that they may have to increase interest rates just because negative interest rates have been so counterproductive. Right. And I've heard several people say that, you know, negative interest rates are just un-American. Right. So, you know, that... (laughs) I right. think that, that uh, stamp that we have is probably going to cause that to not take place either. Right, so. and it's it, and there's questions about the legality of our can the Federal Reserve charge banks for holding money? Right. We don't know if the government can charge banks. We know that they can pay interest, but we don't know if they can charge banks. So there's a lot of complications surrounding that. But the other thing that I think that happens when interest rates are zero or negative is 
that it discourages spending. Yeah. Um, one thing that traditional economic models have is that as you decrease interest rates, that should encourage risk-taking. And one of the things that happens when you do that is it increases spending. It increases corporate investment because they can spend money a lot easier. They can raise money a lot easier by increasing their debt levels. There's a lot of things that happen when you do that. Um, But corporate debt levels have been rising since 2008. Mm. We've seen corporations taking out massive uh, amounts of bonds to do stock buybacks and to do other things because interest rates have been effectively at zero right. for the last since 2008. We've been at our historically low interest rates for the better part of the last 12 years. And so corporations have already adjusted to that behavior. So going from 1% to 0%, I believe is counter, is somewhat counterintuitive because corporations are not going to increase their debt levels any more than they already are. They're, we're already at near historic highs for corporate debt. Um, well, but too, I mean, as you look at it, when you talk about it should encourage risk-taking and spending, you know, you've got uh, the largest generation of Americans, which, you know, have a lot of wealth that they've accumulated over their working careers that have worked really hard to get to a point where they don't have any debt, that right. don't have a lot of risk, and they're exactly. trying to take risk out of their money. And that's why, you know, a lot of people have called the time that we're still in uh, with low interest rates, the war on seniors and savers, you know, which right. you would yep. think high interest rates would encourage savings. Low interest rates aren't really deterring it, but people are still putting it in there and just having a new expectation of what banks pay, you yeah. know, and, and what they should be doing. So. Exactly. And what it, and the other thing that it does is if you're used to saving in a bank or, your, or a checking account or even just buying bonds and getting 5% and that was your plan, now you have to save so much more money to get that same return dollar-wise. Right. Uh, and so that encourages, I think, it actually encourages more savings. The lower the interest rates go, yeah. the, the higher the personal savings rate has to be to maintain the same standard of living. Right. And so that I, I think that actually is what Europe is seeing, is that people are starting to save more and more. And Japan has seen that for a long time. Japan's savings rate has been increasing for a, a long period of time. And Part of that is demographics but a, and culture, but a big part of that, too, is they just don't make any money. When you yeah. decrease the interest rate, return, asset returns go down across the board. Yeah. And so that, that makes it those, – those things make it very difficult to be a consumer in a low interest rate environment. Um, and so I think those are the those are the primary things that I think you can you can say are actually negatives about interest rate, low interest rates. The other thing that I want to make a point on is – a lot of people like to use stock market as an indicator for how certain policies are received. And the last three times the Fed has cut interest rates or has announced a quantitative easing policy, the markets have dropped immediately right. after. And right. typically that's not supposed to happen. When you yeah. decrease interest rates, stock prices should increase. But I think you're starting to see more and more people come alongside to this idea of maybe interest rates this low are not a pos- net positive for the economy. Yeah. And, and you know, we've talked about this previously of you know, it's not just Powell who's in charge, but Yellen before that. We, right. I think they were too sensitive to the markets, you know, if they were raising interest rates to not raise whenever markets had some volatility. Yeah. And so, you know, at, at a negative to maybe long-term inflation rates, if we do have, like you said, economic slowdown and we have some inflation or interest rate increase that just happens naturally. Uh, right. Some things should have happened over time that have been purposefully held low. Uh, And again, you know, the way that that typically hits most of our clients as they get into retirement is, you know, um, I've seen lots of articles where, you know, like pension funds are having more trouble generating interest because bonds used to pay Mm -hmm. 7%. 
you know, and, and that would be a very easy way for them to allocate funds. And so as interest rates are low, I think it complicates um, the investment philosophy overall because right. you can't just stick your money in the bank or you can't just stick it in one thing and get whatever percentage right. return you need. And so I think that tying into the discussion there of, you know, the the battle uh, that investors have ultimately of just where do I put my money and where right. do I get uh, the interest that I need to make, you know, my ends meet and try not to put so much money in the stock market, even though it's been so good yet, you know, had a drop lately. I think all those discussions, you know, lend themselves to people really having a lot of questions like what we're discussing now of, you know, when the Fed makes economic policies like this, how can I position myself to respond in the best way? Right. So, you know, as we look there, that's the cons. Uh, as we take a break, uh, we're going to look at the pros of negative interest rates. And so we'll be back with that in just a second. In 1916, President Wilson passed a stimulus package that paid for the American efforts to end World War I. In 1933, President Roosevelt's New Deal ended the Great Depression. This is about to pass legislation that will greatly ease the mortgage distress among the farmer and the homeowners of the nation. In 2020, President Trump's $2 trillion stimulus package is helping end the COVID-19 pandemic. The single biggest economic relief package in American history. Do you know what all these acts have in common? Taxes went up. Yes, they solved crises, but Americans paid for them with increased income taxes soon after. Move your money out of taxable accounts now before it's too late. At Blue Ridge Wealth Planners, we create comprehensive plans that include strategic movements between taxable and non-taxable accounts. To schedule your free virtual consultation or phone call with a wealth planner, visit us at planforeverything.com. That's planforeverything.com. Let us plan for everything so you don't have to. All right, we're back and forth uh, with Blue Ridge Wealth Planners. Uh, this is John Vander Griff, uh, Zach Hill. We're looking at interest rates today and primarily the low interest rates and the positives and negatives that that brings certain people. And like we said, you know, as we have this discussion, you know, whether you talk to us or other financial advisors, trying to make sure that you position yourself in the best possible situation to respond to what things are happening in the economy and our world, you know, is really what what the role of a fiduciary and a financial advisor should be. So, you know, we want to be a resource for our clients. We need people to obviously work in that capacity for people all over the country because the reality is we can't be everywhere. Right. So so as we look at this, pros for the low interest rates, uh, you say, gosh, why would that be a good thing <laughs> to have low interest rates? Well, it depends on where you're coming from because it is a great time to borrow money. Uh, you know, and even we were talking this morning about you had recently refinanced your house yep. and how many refinancing applications the bank that you're using was having and how they were having trouble yep. processing everything. People realize that as interest rates drop, it is a good time to get lower interest on the loans that you have, but also be in a position where we're almost incentivized to borrow money, mm -hmm. which is counterintuitive in the way that we look at, you know, balanced budgets and making sure that we're spending less than we make because the interest rates are so low, you'll right. see more car loans or furniture loans that are at 0% interest for however many months, you know, and, and you're almost incentivized to do that instead of spending your money that's making next to nothing in the bank, mm -hmm. you know, to, to put it somewhere else because next to nothing is still better than nothing. So, uh, so as we look there, it's a great time to owe money. Unfortunately for a lot of our clients, they are working their entire career to not owe anybody <laughs> anything. And so as we talked about last time, you know, the pros of, you know, having no debt and not knowing, not owing anybody is the fact that you get greeted with just 1% interest rates on your bank account, right. which, is, which is not great. Yeah. So, 
So again, uh, it's a good time to borrow money, uh, which is a positive thing with low interest rates. But the other thing, and we've spent a lot of time discussing this this week, especially with the drawdown that we've had in the stock market, is bonds are really at all-time highs. You know, okay. and that's been something that's been developing since the early 80s, you know, since bonds were really at their – or interest rates were at their top point with 30-year treasuries paying like 15% in 82, yep. uh, dropping really as we've continued. And it's not been a perfect slide. It's been, you know, kind of back and – or up and down as it's dropped over that – you know, nearly four decade period of time. So, but, you know, with, with 10 year treasuries, 30 year treasuries reaching their all time lowest value or lowest interest rates, uh, breaking 1%, which sounds crazy whenever you've got, you know, savings (laughs) accounts online that pay more than the 10 year treasury note does. Um, looking at that from the aspect of now is a great time to look at repositioning bonds, you know? And so, as we had looked, and again, these are numbers that are uh, due to Zach's work uh, because we try to make sure we're looking at, you know, good, reliable information. I want to give you a situation where it is a good time to reposition bonds into certain areas. So if you would have bought a 30-year Treasury note in uh, January of 2019, uh, those were paying at the time 3% interest. And so let's say you put $10,000 into that bond, uh, you would have been collecting 3% interest and then obviously have a fluctuating market value, you know, whenever you looked at it. Uh, and so with the drop in the markets, with interest rates going down uh, recently, those same 30-year treasuries for a new buy-in were paying 1.35% is the number you gave yep. me, right? Yes. And so the difference between that 3% and that 1.35%, if you would have taken your bond you previously purchased in January of 2019 and sold it today, you would not just sell it for $10,000, which is what you bought it for. You would actually sell it for $14,000, which for people that don't understand math, that's not just $4,000 that you made, but that's a 40% increase in value over, you know, a little over a year. So on what is supposed to be one of the safest securities in the world, which they are, they will pay that interest rate, but that's crazy high return for something that is supposed to be so safe. Right. And, And part of that is, you know, people running to bonds, mm-hmm. you know, as a safe haven, but also yeah. with the drastic decrease with the Fed and interest rates and different things, as interest rates drop, those bond values are going to increase. And so as we see that happen, we want to be in a position to recognize that that won't be here forever. You know, right. I mean, it's whether people, you know, the markets return back and people start pulling money out of bonds, potentially to loss, or uh, they're in a position where, you know, interest rates just let loose and those bond values in the future become mm-hmm. a lot better paying bonds. You know, we're in a window of time right now. We're repositioning those bonds into things that either pay a better interest rate or have more principal protection may be a good thing to do, right. depending on what it is your goal is. So, you know, as we look at that, we, we've said for years, and it's been true, it's just we never knew where the bottom was for, you know, bond interest rates, where as interest rates drop, mm-hmm. your bond values are increasing. Now is a good time, even with the turbulence that we're seeing in the markets, to really think about what is my long-term plan with these bonds, because you could get caught in a situation where you're, like you said, duration yield is yep. not what you thought it was. You're actually yeah, exactly. And the other, just to connect that to your first point too yeah. is that if interest rates are so low, and that's really great for a lot of real estate markets, is that there's a lot of people right now who are looking for yield, and they call it a search for yield because mm-hmm. if the thirty-year Treasury is paying just over one percent, you're kind of trying to look where is an effective place to do that. And so there's a lot of options for that, but there's also a lot of people who can benefit from this, and so 
even though it seems dire, is that they're you can't buy any bonds that are yielding anything, and even junk bonds are yielding right. you know three four percent. You know there are opportunities out there. You just have to be a little bit more diligent. And yeah, and, and that's where you know trying to loot or use alternate investments, not just saying my only options are stocks and bonds and cash, right. but looking for some other things that you know whether it's real estate investments or, you know, some alternatives that have maybe preferred stock, you know, than an on-traded position or even going to insurance companies, depending on what it is that you're looking to achieve, you know, you can get in, in several places come or combined with each other, kind of what bonds have traditionally been known for, right. but trying to spread that risk out through several different asset classes, but also trying to increase the overall potential of that money. So, so okay. again, you know, bonds, as we look at it, if you could say, well, my stocks are in the toilet, you know, my cash is very low. I've got some bonds because I just didn't ever take it and pull it out of stocks. You could sell those bonds at a high point and reposition it into stocks and get kind of an overall better gain if you've got some long-term, you know, projection with mm -hmm. your money, or if the goal is trying to you know, maybe not take as much risk now that you know <laughs> how much risk right. you're actually taking, you know, taking those bonds and letting those be the first piece that you reposition into something else to try to balance, truly balance the uh, long-term projections of your money, right. not just having a momentary increase and then both stocks and bonds <laughs> losing in value, which could happen. Right. And you said this yesterday is that we, Everybody who has ever thought about investing knows the adage, buy low and sell high. And this right. is truly a time when you can sell high. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you don't get many of those opportunities. And, and it's, especially if you are younger and you're looking at it and you're like, well, I'm not necessarily needing this money to be protected. It's just maybe I was in a target fund and I didn't realize what my allocations were. Now's the time where you can buy low while you sell high. Hmm. It, exactly. It's not... It's not often you get a chance to do both of those simultaneously <laughs> in right. just different areas. So you could sell out of bond positions that you have today, redistribute those monies in stocks, and be able to get that much more gain potential when markets return back Right, up. and so, the, you'll hear this stat just because it is a bit unique, is that this is one of the only times in history that the S&P 500 has a dividend yield that's higher than the 30-year Treasury. Right, which is rate. crazy. That doesn't, that doesn't make any sense, but that's gonna, you can get 2.5% in dividends in the S&P 500 right now. You get 1.5% in 30-year Treasury, right. a little bit less than that. So. And that dividend yield probably will keep increasing if bond or <laughs> right. stock market values right. keep dropping. Exactly. So, Every, yeah. so that's, a, that's a current, but to be determined, you know, and they could yeah. be kind of delineating even more. So, um, but again, you know, as we look at this, pros of interest rates being low, in my opinion, with most of the people we talk to, I think it's a negative to have lower interest right. rates for all the reasons For the longer term, up. yeah. Yeah. And also just the, the struggle of trying to have a conservative allocation that actually pays mm -hmm. anything. Because I think even, even though interest rates haven't been as low lately, because of the low interest rates that we've had, the conservative positions that people try to manage really struggle, especially when markets look so right. great. And so as an investor that may not have a lot of discipline or education, you look at it and you say, okay, well, cash is paying nothing. Bonds are a little bit better, mm -hmm. but not much. Stocks are performing at an all-time high level pre this drop. And so why would I not put all my money in stocks? But again, that's kind of tempting yep. people to take way more risk than they potentially need Which to. Which is exactly what I think, you know, if you're thinking about the Fed dropping interest rates and the quantitative easing has done is it's pushed people into riskier assets that right. don't necessarily need to be there. And so what you've seen over the last few weeks with stocks dropping is 
it's really a reassessment of your risk tolerance mm-hmm. is how much risk can you actually take. And, and again, since we don't know the duration of this market, you know, bear market situation that we're in right now, we don't know how long of a pill this is to take from an aspect yeah. of, you know, are we going to be back to where we were in February six months later, a year later? shorter than that. You know, right. the, the interesting thing is just the speed at which all of this has happened, yep. you know, and kind of the, the culmination of, you know, the pandemic happening as oil prices went down, which not, not a lot of people are talking about right. because they're just so scared of coronavirus. But, you know, right. as we look at that, making sure that we are aware of the risk that we want to take long term. And if we're not in a position where we are happy with the risk we're taking now, trying to kind of shift things to where we can reposition and, and ultimately, you know, respond to the positives that are taking place now, but also kind of hold on through some of the negatives. So as far as our show today, you know, if if you're looking for a winner, I would say Zach won, and he said he (laughs) wanted to do that before. But, you know, we we don't like negative interest rates if we can help it. Uh, But that's our show today, Back and Forth. Thanks for joining us. Uh, We look forward to sitting down with you next week and and discussing a new topic that we can go back and forth discussing. So that was fun. Investment advisory services offered through Blue Ridge Wealth Planners, a registered investment advisor. Securities offered through Madison Avenue Securities, LLC, member FINRA, SIPC, MAS, and Blue Ridge Wealth Planners are not affiliated companies.